Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Beer Ladies podcast with your hosts, Lisa, Katie, Christina, and myself, Tandy. You can find us at our website or all over social media. Our website is beerladiespodcast.com and our social media, Twitter, Instagram, Mastodon, Blue Sky, TikTok, and even Facebook are at Beer Ladies Pod or Beer Ladies Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can find our merch store link uh, on any of our social media bios uh, or in the show notes for this episode. And if you'd like to sponsor an episode, do mail us at beerladiespodcast at gmail.com. Now back to the beer. Hello, and welcome back to the Beer Ladies Podcast. I am Lisa, and I am your host this evening, and I am joined by my charming and erudite co-host, Christina. Hello, Christina. Christina is waving. And we are very, very excited to have someone on to talk to us not about beer. I know, I know it's shocking, (laughs) but instead... We are going to be talking Perry, Cider, all of those good things, but, you know, we're still keeping on brand. We still have an Irishman to talk about these things, although not in Ireland. So all, all will be revealed, but I want to say a big thank you to, and hello to Barry Masterson. Hello, Barry. Hello. And, uh, thanks for having me. It's a great honor to be here. <laughs> thank you so much. We're thrilled to have you. We're going to dive into all sorts of things, Cider and Perry, and for those who are wondering what what even is Perry we were we'll get to that don't don't worry don't worry but as per usual as per tradition we're going to start out with what are you drinking and Christina I, I I feel like I know and those at home like who may be wagering on it but what have you got for us tonight well I got the mug lads She's and got the, mug. the tea <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty big mug <laughs> it we love this mug it's I feel like it's, it's become one of the podcast in a way uh it's 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 my favorite thing you know because halloween is a state of mind and it is year-round and so this is my skull mug and i'm obsessed it's on our socials people have seen it and it's it's a it's a wonderful thing so we'll we'll certainly put up more photos of it uh so over to you barry what have you got tonight well as i knew we're probably going to talk about perry i (laughs) packed open uh something very special for me because uh as I'm over in Germany, I don't really get access to very many Irish products. Uh, but I opened a bottle of Perry uh, from the Cider Mill in Slane, made by Mark Jenkinson. And uh, I'm not sure what years on this, but I know it's the older version. Um, but yeah, a very, very nice Perry made with French pears grown in Ireland. Oh, I did not know they were French pears. French oh, very Americans, exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, And I will say I have, I have yay the same, <laughs> but in a different bottle. So... Perhaps mine is slightly newer, but but uh, yes, Perry, uh, just, and it's just called Perry on mine. So it, it's literally what it says on the tin or bottle in this case, and from the Cider Mill Slane on, on the back. So excited to try it because I don't know if I have ever even tried a Perry. I, I've certainly, as a as a student, drank a lot of cider, um, but we won't get into that. There, there's four decisions uh, in there, but I think we'll probably start with Perry. Perry, what is Perry? Tell us all about it. Well, Perry, God, I guess think of it in the way of um, cider. It's made from apples. Wine is made from grapes. Perry is made from pears. And I guess Mark put a really useful clue on the bottle because yes. he's changed his normal logo <laughs> shape into a pear-shaped logo. Uh, right. but yeah, it's made from pears. <laughs> Normally what they call Perry pears, uh, which is, a, a let's say, a type of pear that is generally inedible 
Uh, so mm. they're very rich in tannins. And if, if you bite into it, you get these kind of very, uh, in German, they say pelzig. Means oh, like, that's a good word. Uh, it's a really good word, <laughs> which means like a furry feeling on your tongue. So oh. it's astringent and kind of sucks your cheeks in, very oh. tannic and dry. Uh, but they make, when they're fermented, they make the most amazing drinks, I think, in the world. Right. And so, and I'm sure we're going to get into this a little bit because I, I know enough about apples that you would use for cider to be dangerous, not not in depth, but I have, you know, Pete Brown's uh, the apple orchard behind me. Uh -huh. And, you know, so much of that is about, you know, the, the sort of heritage, uh, sort of heritage varieties and grafting and, and all these sort mm. of complicated things and the very few places in the world that are really trying to maintain some of these varieties. But I guess with on the pear side, there's probably even fewer than there are for the apples. So far, far fewer. I mean, Perry is is, is a, as old as cider, if not older, um, but it's it's pretty much disappeared from across Europe. So um, I think really it's it's the, the West Counties of England, uh, France, uh, Normandy, the Domfront region and uh, Austria, the, the Mostviertel, they call it, uh, which still have a living tradition of making Perry and these big old trees. Um, mm. Switzerland used to have an amazing Perry culture for hundreds of years, but it disappeared in the past 80 years or so. Oh. Germany also had a pretty big Perry culture. And um, so I live in rural Germany in a very small village and we're surrounded by uh, these big old Perry pear trees and nobody was using them. Right. Um, so <laughs> zoiks. <laughs> <laughs> I was lucky enough to be able to... Um, get access to about 60 or more of these trees. I've mapped over 200 just surrounding the village. Oh, okay. And they really range cool. in age from like 80 years to, one of them is probably around 200 years old, but peri pear trees are remarkable because they they live for so long, so up to 300 years or more. And uh, we've got some around here, they're 14 or 15 meters tall. Oh my goodness. I don't know what that is in feet. And uh, they're enormous trees. So they're, they're you know, imposing so Landschaft Prägen, as they say in German, they, they really <laughs> just bless the landscape, you know, really impressive looking trees that you see in the landscape. And in, in April when they're flowering, uh, just just amazing. Oh, gosh, that sounds beautiful. And, and now that you I like peri peri trees, don't you? <laughs> oh, hey, absolutely. Now, it's funny that now that you say that, I can remember seeing peri on a couple of menus in, in Vienna, like in Austria. I feel like there were, mm. it did at least pop up in some places. I, I don't think I got around to trying any and I don't know how traditional or local any of the ones that were on offer were but mm -hmm. it's good to know there is some kind of uh at least nod to tradition maybe that they were drawing on but... oh definitely i mean so the most they they live and breathe that culture i think it oh, nearly wow. disappeared and um but i think i haven't been there yet but i know from reports uh, and seeing photos of some of the events around there it, it it's just paired decorations on buildings and Right. sculptures and but it's just in this small region uh so okay. the most spiritual so most is the the german word for for cider or peri it's kind of a generic use word uh so it's basically the the peri quarter of of austria okay oh who knew that's yeah. amazing cool. <laughs> so that that's that shows how important it was and and still is i guess in that region at least yeah oh i'm always fascinated by these things that are preserved in the language that you know yeah. may Place you know are amazing yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry, Christina, go yeah. ahead. No, I'm just curious. Um, what came first, the trees or the Perry for you? Were you into Perry and then you saw all these trees and you were, oh my gosh, I like, I have moved to the best place ever or I've, you know, how, how which, which way around did that go? <laughs> <laughs> well, I started making cider. Well, if you go, if you go right back, I started making beer. So I was a home brewer, you, you might know. Um, so I was, uh, heavily involved in the beginning of Bior, for example. Mm. Uh, but I had already left Ireland at that stage. Uh, but I had continued brewing uh, as a home brewer. And uh, that was also a kind of a, a good way to <laughs> to get in with the locals. Right. <laughs> in a small village, you know, this Irish guy coming and making beer. And, you know, it was a good way to uh, a social lubricant, let's say. Yeah. Um, but it was by accident. I kind of fell into making cider. Um, so liking fermenting things. Um, we had bought the harvest rights to a few trees from from the local council for the princely sum of 10 euro <laughs> every year they used to basically sell off the harvest rights for certain trees and um it was always the same old people would turn up every year because they wanted to make their mushed or lots of people have apple trees around here and they make juice and that's what we wanted to do 
So we bought the for 10 euro the rights to like a dozen or so trees for that year. And we picked them and we brought them to a mobile press that comes oh, okay. uh, village in autumn. And that was 2012. And then we had all and they pasteurize it and they put it into a bag and box. So you have your juice for the year and it's fantastic. But I don't drink that much apple juice. <laughs> and as a home brewer, I was kind of like, I could ferment that as well, couldn't I? <laughs> so that was the beginning. Um, and I made a really awful cider. <laughs> but I I don't give up easily and I kept trying. So for years I was just making cider, uh, very small amounts. And then we bought a small orchard with 30 trees in 2015 and then we bought another plot we tripled the size of the plot and then we doubled it again so now we've got like 150 um, apple trees that were planted in the late 50s so i was doing all that and uh, learning and improving and trying well trying to get better and um i always blame the dog for the perry it's apocryphal day, uh, but it's true. <laughs> uh, so we, we we adopted a dog from Ireland, in fact, from Galway. Uh, so from Madra, um, <laughs> basically, they're yeah, a, a home for, for dogs in Galway. And uh, they have a sister organization um, in the west of Germany uh, that would basically bring dogs over if they can find somebody to, to adopt them. So because okay. my wife always had a border collie, so she lived in Galway. Um, she always wants to have a border collie again. I mean, Long story short, <laughs> Anu came over. We called her Anu after the, the Irish goddess. And um, then I started walking routes around the village that I had never really walked before. So leaving the, the, the roadways, leaving the tracks and going across fields. And it was then I started noticing like, these pears lying in the ground. And I was like, what are they doing there? <laughs> you know, what are they used for? And they, nobody was using them. And then right. the more I looked, the more more trees I saw. And then I started mapping them because my, my background is in surveying. And uh, this became like a side quest. So every time we went <laughs> to walk, we were looking for pear trees and then going further afield and further afield. And um, eventually, I can't remember what year, I think it was 2019, um, we started pressing perry. And that was the year that we registered as a farm and were able to actually sell our produce. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, I, I started then making Perry and what was coming out was just so mind altering <laughs> compared to the ciders because um, it was just so different. It was just so different to anything I've had before. And uh, then I started getting really into researching um, the, the Perry culture of Europe and uh, the trees. So I'm also in the, the Homologist Association here. So, you know, learning about the fruit varieties and the history of them and how to identify them and stuff like this is like an you you never stop learning um yeah. so this for me became an obsession <laughs> i have to be frank an absolute obsession uh to the point that um yeah we're i'm grafting also these rare or endangered varieties we're planting a new orchard just dedicated to rare varieties and um trying to to use the pears that we get access to to make something that's interesting uh, tasty, but also in, as a kind of a way of conservation through use, uh, I like to say. Yeah. That if I can show a farmer, uh, you know, this is a Bayerische Weinbier in a single variety, Perry. This came from your trees. Please don't cut them down. Right. <laughs> you know, and if they try and they can, they're like, their minds are blown that, that these inedible pears that they, they kind of think are useless um, can make something that's just so, so tasty, really. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. And I, lo I love that idea of, you know, the conservation through use. And uh, yeah, again, we, we could see that with some local buildings if we just use them. But anyway, that's a, an aesthetic. Yeah. But uh, I, I, even just like I, like I was saying, I don't think I've ever really had one before, but the more I'm getting into it, the more it is quite different from a cider. It's, you know, there's some sort of superficial similarities, but that it's, it's definitely a different, you know, obviously a different fruit, but different kind of flavor, feeling, you know, mouthfeel, all of those things. But uh yeah, it's it's interesting how different it, it would be. So I'm I'm curious about all the different varieties and how they how they play that how they play a role in the flavor. Yeah, this, yeah this I was just gonna ask you, what does it taste like? Describe <laughs> what you're drinking. <laughs> well, we've got different vintages. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know what year this one was made, but I presume the varieties are going to be the same. So I know from talking with Mark recently. That the main uh, variety he's using is a French variety called Plante de Blanc, which is a really important variety in the Dumfront region. 
so they have a, an AOP uh, that defines exactly what should be in uh, mm. this appellation in the, for the Perry's yeah. region. And it must be, I think it's 40%. All of the Perry's made in that region must be 40% of this Plante Blanc uh, variety. So I was amazed that they're growing in Ireland. I didn't know this yeah. literally this week. <laughs> um, but it's really fruity. Now, yeah, it's very mine fruity. has like elements of strawberry jam and it's not it's not very tannic. You get some that give this kind of grippy bite to it, like something like a really heavy wine. You might get really rich tannins. This one's kind of light on the tannins, but it's got a bright acidity. It's kind of like a little marmalade, maybe a little bit of a little bit of lemon zest, perhaps. Yeah, I was thinking a little bit of lemon as well with with this one, which again looks maybe it's slightly newer, but uh, it but is yeah, it's definitely newer. It's definitely yeah. Newer. Yeah, and, and, you know, looking at the bottle, too, you know, how it says, you know, great with strong cheese. And that was my immediate first thought was, oh, this would <laughs> this would really pair with pair, pair huh, with, you know, a really good cheese that would be, a, you know, kind of a really nice, really nice balance. So yeah. same label, I think same back label. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it, it is interesting, though. It's, it's quite dry, but like it does, it doesn't quite have that same. Yeah, I guess it's that tannic bit that you would get from the like the the apples. I you don't get that with the or at least with this peri, it's a slightly different, but still you get a sort of sparkly kind of thing with it. So uh. yeah, the, the the tannins kind of act differently with between pears and apples. So I have to say the the apple varieties we have in Germany have no tannins. Oh um, really? Oh, that's yeah, fascinating. So, so that's another uh, difference between. So going back to cider. Um, one of the main difference. So in around Frankfurt, they call it apple vine, so apple wine. Right, right, right. They call it most apple most. Uh, so and that's in the local dialect, apple most. <laughs> um, but the varieties here tend to be what we might consider dessert fruit. Um, they're more acid led. Um, whereas in in England and the West Counties in France and Ireland as well, the apple varieties used there tend to be like what they call bitter sweets that would have mm. uh, more tannin. Um, and then you get bitter sharps, whatever that are lots of tannin, lots of acid, and then sharps that are lots of acid. <laughs> so there's a whole range in the apples, uh, and pears kind of reflect that as well. Um, but the like I said, the varieties here and um, of apples uh, tend not to have tannins. Um, I think in Austria it's similar, and probably Switzerland as well, uh, and northern Spain to a, to a degree, and in the east counties of England as well, Kent uh, around there they have more acid-led apples, I'd say. Um, but the pear varieties across Europe tend to share big tannins. Mm. <laughs> some more, some less, some that have more acid, some that have less acid. Uh, so there's a whole range that you can that you can work with. Um, so for me, working with something that's really heavily tannic is a joy because the apples don't have that. And traditionally, right. because the apples don't have it, to make up for that and to help clarify or add body or structure, it was very traditional in this region of Germany to add peri pears into the uh, press with the apple okay. and tannin. Oh, fascinating. That makes sense, though. And I, I did wonder, too, just, uh, you know, noticing that on, on the bottle here uh, where it says it's, you know, it's 100 percent pressed fresh fruit. I wondered, is it all going to be all pears or is there going to be a combination or maybe it depends on what you're I'm what pretty you're making, sure so. this is one hundred percent pears. Mm. The distinction Mark is making there is that um, his products are what over here we refer to as uh, orchard based. I think in the US they oh, call okay. harvest based, which I think is a really lovely term because it really reflects um, the methods used by small makers, where it is harvest based. You get one chance a year to make a product. You press the fruit fresh. You might store it for a bit to get greatness, mm. but there's no concentrate, there's no sugars, there's no corn syrup. All oh, right, that makes sense. And yeah. You press it once a year, mm -hmm. whereas the 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 magners of the world they're pressing, <laughs> they're using concentrate basically throughout. Right. So they're producing a, a consistent product throughout the year. They use concentrate, water, uh, corn syrup, and that type of thing. So uh, this is why you'll also get a lot more variation with these smaller. Sure. And I think it's a lot more fun, and it's. Like I said, one chance a year. So when he says it's fresh juice, you know, it's been pressed by him. It's been fermented by him and it's one chance a year. And what he only made a thousand liters or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's nice. Like you say, where you where you have that sense of you, this is an agricultural product, which you can sometimes lose that yeah. in a sort of mass market variety. Yeah. And, and again, whether that's like a Magnus, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the things I would have had as a 
student that came in a plastic bottle or, you know, that kind of. <laughs> You're <laughs> not the only one. <laughs> but yeah, my like conception I, of cider was uh, very different until I started making it. So I was a complete yeah. beer person. I totally focused on beer and, you know, drink everything and travel and, you know, <laughs> you know what it's like. Right. Uh, but my, my cider worldview was very limited by what I had mm. you know, drank. And it's the same for lots of people, you know, as a teenager drinking two liters of Strongbow <laughs> Yeah. Thing. and you know the you know, pints of, of bulmers or magners in summertime yeah. and you know that's fine it's yeah nothing wrong with it i, I quite fancy a two liter of strongbow again <laughs> but um, but there's a lot more to discover and i think as beer geeks for me it was totally yeah. eye-opening to to uncover this whole different kind of mm-hmm. parallel universe of, right. of, of cider making uh, that is, you know, an agricultural product and these small makers. And it, it's just a joy to visit them and see what they're doing. And uh, some very yeah. creative people. Uh, and speaking of creativity, and this may be a complete sidebar, but but again, it sort of uh, reminded me, you know, in, in Pete Brown's book, he talks about, I think he opens the book where he goes to kind of a wassailing sort of ritual. I wonder, are there similar local sort of, and, and again, ritual may be a heavy word, but it, you know, <laughs> are there some sort of fun activities, if you like, around kind of either the harvest or planting that, that are all sort of associated with the, with, with the apples and the pears in Germany, or is there, are these kind of all, I don't know. No, there isn't. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. Like, maybe you should start one. That could be fun. Yeah. So I've, I've seen in the U.S. there's uh, lots of uh, cideries exactly doing wassailing. Yeah, they, they light fires and they go on a procession out into the orchard and uh, <laughs> sing songs and dance and hang pieces of toast on the trees. And oh goodness! Do, do a libation. <laughs> so the libation right. is something I'm very much into. <laughs> yeah, giving yeah. the trees a drink of their own produce to to it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm always of the opinion you can start a tradition anytime. So you know, <laughs> maybe there you go. Free consulting I've, I've idea. Been, I've, been yeah. I've been thinking about it. I, I know our neighbors would definitely be into it. So last yeah. time we did go for a walk at nighttime, or just as uh, at sunset, and we went up the hill behind our house and we visited some pear trees and we drank the perry that was made from those trees. Oh, on that's the nice. Tree. And uh, then it got dark cool. and they were shining their torches up through the trees. And it was it was really nice. And I thought, if I ever start doing tours and tasting, right. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Definitely. And tell people, oh, they've done this for thousands of years. There's unbroken tradition. <laughs> it's an old Irish tradition, yeah. Take out, take out your phone torch and shine it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a lot of scope for potential dressing up and dress the dog up and, you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't think she'd like that. <laughs> but, but yeah, b- back to kind of, you know, on, you know, sort of what, what I guess... I, and Christine, you may want to get in on this as well. Like, if you're looking for Perry, like, what, how do you know if it's yes. a good Perry? Good, obviously subjective, but what's what makes it you know, not the the strongbow of Perry? I guess. So, is Perry the drink? Yeah, just in general. Yeah, that's a really difficult question. And because, that's okay. There may not be one answer. So, no, I don't think there is because everything is so. Um, you know, your own personal taste is so. Mm-hmm. So it's subjective. Um, I you, you cannot say everything uh, will will fit well. There are perries that will appeal to everybody. Right. Uh, so, my wife, for example, um, she used to be a Guinness drinker, <laughs> and then she kind of got out of drinking alcohol. And she doesn't drink beer anymore, and she doesn't like cider at all. But she'll drink a perry. Mm, um, interesting. Because so, so the ciders we make are dry; they're bone dry. Right. No residual sugar whatsoever. Uh, but perry, even when it ferments completely fully and won't ferment anymore, there will always be a little bit of residual sugar because of sorbent. Mm. It's an unfermented. Oh, okay. Sugar. Interesting. But this also gives a little, just a slightly off dry edge to most. And sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. Um, and I think that takes the edge, <laughs> that scratchy <laughs> note uh, that you might get with, if it was completely dry, it might be a little bit too... Uh, too scratchy on the throat if it's a very tannic one but i i, I can't give an answer to that because there are so many types of pears that will yield so many ranges of flavor you just have to try yeah well there you go yeah there we go there's a you know a sort of assignment for everyone just go try them and... yeah yeah um, yeah so like i said this i only know of three um irish perries um but i'm sure there are um you know retailers in ireland who, who might have mm. the likes of cider from from ross cider um, and perry company 
in Herefordshire or from Little Pomona or Tom Oliver. And they, they make fantastic perries. Mm. And is there anything that is kind of like a big commercial perry that is out there or not not so much? Like, Would there even be the scale for that? Um, <laughs> the first one that would come to mind when I think of like big scale perry is yeah. Baby Sham. Do you know Baby Sham? Oh God, yes. <laughs> not, <That's> a... <laughs> I mean, I, I haven't had no. one in a very long time. Oh that, gosh, you better. Is it? What is, what is it? <laughs> Good lord. The, the champagne of Perry, but I think they're, they're not going to say that anymore. Uh, but basically, yeah, they wanted to create a product that was, um, I think it was in the 1950s, showerings, I think it was at the time. And uh, yeah, they basically created a champagne alternative. Um, I think they were importing concentrate from Switzerland at, in the beginning or at some stage. Uh, but they also planted thousands of uh, a variety called um, Henry Huffcap. Which is a really, really nice peri pear, which again has gone rare again. Oh. Um, but yeah, um, so they 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 made like cham- champagne bowls uh, branded with baby sham and <laughs> baby sham, baby champagne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I feel like it had a big sort of resurgence maybe in the seventies. I, I think of it as a very sort of seventies. I mean, I was a child of the seventies, and uh, I remember my mother having baby sham, and I, <laughs> I'm pretty sure my first drink was baby sham. Right. Like as a, as a four or five year old having right. a Christmas type of thing. Right. <laughs> yeah, what's that? <laughs> yeah. And it was, it had the little, it had like the little deer on yeah, it, like the exactly, little Bambi yeah. deer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was all, yeah. It's, I, I'm sure it's still out there, but yeah. I think it's making a comeback because I recently saw a website that had these uh, really bright baby blue hoodies with the baby sham. Oh my goodness. The back of the, so I, I wow. think it's kind of coming back, but that's probably the biggest brand of, of Perry. Uh, between the UK and Ireland that I can think of. But um, I was encouraging my mother to try and find some again, but she couldn't. <laughs> wow, well, mind blown. I didn't realize that was a Perry, but I guess, yeah. Well, I, I, but again, like like you were saying before, I guess people are using certain varieties. They they stay with us. So maybe that's a, a net good overall. So <laughs> we'll have I see. have been firmly living under a rock because I have never heard of Baby Jam. <laughs> I, I don't know that you're missing much. <laughs> you need to sorry you need to seek it out so i would love to try it because i i have no memory but it's just such an iconic brand i think it's worth just to try <laughs> yeah honestly the branding is is worth tracking down just on its own like if it's kind, kitchy, kind, kind right? of thing yeah when you see it at like a charity shop it is so kitschy and yeah <laughs> yeah we'll we'll, we'll, we'll have to go on a, a hunt the rabbit yeah. holes of things i need to google this weekend <laughs> do, do so i mean the funny thing is so through history um, I mean, cider was often compared with back in the day, like in the 18th or 17th century. And the the big houses, the toffs, were always going around each other's houses and kind of trying each other's ciders, and mm, yeah. they were very pleased if it was indistinguishable from a wine or something. But there's lots of tales uh, of kind of blind tastings in Germany and Nuremberg or whatever, uh, where a merchant brought in um, some perry didn't tell them what it was and then these right. other wine merchants are trying it and saying oh it's a it's a canary wine or it's a malaga wine or something that's no it's a it's a pear wine uh so if it's rightly made uh you it's, it can be very vinous mm. now that makes sense and, and I, i've definitely come across some of those articles too like like you say especially for germany austria i i can and, and again it was in that sort of framed that way as sort of ah oh, someone's kind of putting one over on these guys who think they're very, you know, have fancy palettes. But so again, so we've always had that as a you know, <laughs> tradition, basically, yeah. of, you know, but oh my gosh, that's so interesting. But I guess let's let's back up a little bit. So how did you get to Germany in the first place? And what was the the journey there? Uh, it's my wife's fault. We all blame people. Yeah, uh, she's German. So she um, she studied archaeology in Ireland and Galway. And, oh. yeah really are you, you two archaeology you? degrees here so oh, wow. and so and i worked in archaeology then for <laughs> for eight years so oh funny yeah that's how we met i worked for the discovery program oh um, wow yeah so um i was the gis manager there before i life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, but yeah, it was always a kind of... Um should we move over or not? And um, she, at the end, she was like 16 years in Ireland. Right. And, um, yeah, wanted to be closer to the parents type of thing. So it was either do it or, or never do it type of thing. And I got a, a job offer I couldn't understand. And <laughs> decided, well, just screw it. And we just leave. And that was 2008. Right. And um, we first lived up in northern Germany for a couple of years. And then I was allowed to work from home and we moved closer down southern Germany close to where my uh, wife's parents are from yeah and uh yeah bought this house renovated it and uh, I guess I'm not going to be moving anywhere else that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fair enough and then you just happen to sort of luck into having these amazing trees around to kind of spark inspiration yeah. uh, like I said it, it wasn't planned uh, it was a hobby that went out of control <laughs> well we, we've all we've all got some of those yeah <laughs> But I think a good hobby. It's it keeps me outdoors and um, yeah. a, an antidote to sitting in an office all day. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Can you talk just a little bit more about the history of Perry? You kind of touched on that, but just a little bit more of the history, particularly in Germany or anything in history wise you think is particularly like, wow, this is cool. Everyone should know about this. How long do you have? <laughs> I mean, I have all day. <laughs> uh, let's say the the, the cleft notes. Um, so I, I mentioned it has been around a long time. Uh, yeah. I think some of the earliest records are from the Romans. And I think it was, um, uh, who was it? Now I can't remember. Like there's a plenty of the elder story for everything. There's probably one somewhere. Palladius, Palladius. Ah, okay fourth or fifth century CE, I think. And um, he had a book, Opus Agriculture or something. And it, he had a, basically a passage in this mentioning making pear wine. Mm. And that's one of the earliest entries. Um, Charlemagne also, uh, when was that? 800 CE, around that time. Yeah. Um. He had uh, basically issued a set of rules for how his estates should be run uh, across mm -hmm. the Holy Roman Empire, and he uh, specified that every state should have somebody who knows how to make cider and who knows how to make perry. Oh wow! There you go. <laughs> so he was interested Very cool. in cider and perry. Um. Last year, I found some uh, medieval poetry from Austria and Switzerland, written Very in Middle cool. High German. Oh wow. It was really fun to, to <laughs> you think you can read it, but I actually had to get a medievalist to to really look in because some of the meanings were just, uh, it was hard to get out, plus the the, pr the pronunciation, the way they're spelled. So right. I could almost read it and I did a rough translation, but she really helped with the deeper meanings and all the double meanings that are in these. Yeah, I feel like there's all these hidden rhymes and yeah. double entendre. Yeah. Yes, double entendres. Yeah. <laughs> because apparently the pair had uh, very many. Right. 
symbolic meanings. Um, <laughs> so yeah, and then the, these Minnelied singers who are basically these, these courtly bards. Um, and one song, um, basically the, the setup was this this minstrel was singing for the lady of the house, uh, but his throat was too dry and he was a bit nervous oh. and whatever. And then she calls for a pitcher of beer and wine, so a pear wine, uh, to basically soothe his throat. And, you know, they end up kind of in the corner together, nibbling nuts and... Uh, as you do, yeah. One thing led another to another. Girl, another. Yeah. So yeah, that that was really cool because um that was the first um kind of description I got of kind of everyday use of Perry. Mm-hmm. The other one was interesting. I think it was a, an Austrian. Uh, he was writing a pretty scathing song about kind of other lands nearby. So uh, kind of they're all barbaric, and uh, he mentioned the Bohemians. Uh, are there kind of guzzling their beer and the Bavarians let them drink their perry. Oh, that shade. Was so that was around 1290, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they suggested that the, cool. the, the, the peasantry of Bavaria, that their main drink was pear wine and cider, probably. Right. Oh, gosh. Or, Some people would come to come to blows over that. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, wrote a small article on Cider Review about just revealing those stories. But, you know, I don't, you don't have to overinterpret, but there's a little right. window on on um, kind of how Perry was seen in, in these kind of medieval courts and that type of thing. Um, but I think the golden age of Perry was, um, well, certainly in Switzerland, they were making it. I read stuff from, from 1529 onwards that Perry was a very important uh, thing in Switzerland. But in England, uh, it was around the mid, um, early to mid 17th century. Um, that, well, let's say around this time, there was lots of wars going on and the English were importing lots and lots of wine and stuff. And I guess with wars, the 30 year war and uh, the war with with the, with Holland and all this stuff going on, it was getting harder for them to uh, be getting wine in. So the kind of bright minds that the precursors of the, uh, the Royal Society at the time um, we're sending letters back and forth, like the the, right. um, the ambassador for uh, of uh, to Switzerland, the English ambassador it was Cromwell's ambassador actually. So Charles had gone at that stage. Um, oh. had been writing back about Swiss Perry, and they were exchanging notes across Europe and this type of thing. But a lot of people in that circle kind of saw cider and especially Perry as being a replacement for wine, so basically to create an English right. wine. And uh, that was like a golden age because they were really starting to get into pomology and the more scientific approach to identifying fruit and cultivating right. and making wines and uh, or ciders and perries out of these fruit. Um, that kind of died away again. I think people still wanted to import their French or their canary. Right. When, when they wanted to feel fancy. Down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was kind of a highlight and it kind of ebbed and, you know, it kind of waned and it was uh, kind of sad in a way. Um, and across Europe, um, like I mentioned, Switzerland was really a big thing and until the 1950s. And then they basically obliterated their entire landscape oh. of trees. Uh, 11 million trees were cut down between 1950 and 1970. Oh, my goodness. Wow. But by then, they were not in their periculture. Um, uh, Austria held on to it. Uh, Germany lost it. So the Bavarians don't drink Perry anymore. Right. <laughs> no. Um, but there were pockets that survived in, in the uh, the Palatinate, the West Palatinate, uh, which is on the border of, of Belgium and France, uh, up until around the 1950s again. And again, from the 50s on, I think across Europe, there was a big change with modernization of farming. Um, around here, we so our orchard was planted in this time, uh, where they were basically getting rid of trees that were in the landscape. So they used to practice agro uh, forestry in the past. They planted trees in the tillage, surrounded right. the grain, and they were okay. harvesting with horses and whatever, so it was easy. But when they started mechanizing, they were in the way. So they rationalized the landscape, got rid of all these things and planted kind of more compact orchards, that type of thing. But that meant that a lot of the traditions just kind of went by the by. And then places like the West Palatine, they kind of hung on because it was kind of more rugged landscape or something. And they, they kind of hung on a bit later than other places. But yeah, there's been highs and lows, but it's like I said, it has such a long history, but it's been forgotten in most of the places where it was made. And yeah. even in England, where they hung on in, in the West Counties, um, I think it's a bit of a resurgence now. Thanks a lot to people like uh, Adam Wells. Uh, who started Cider Review, and who's, who's also publishing a book <laughs> uh, through camera about Perry. 
the first book written dedicated to Perry. Uh, oh wow! Available for for pre order through camera also. <laughs> available for pre order through camera. Yeah. What? So I mean, I've already ordered it. And I'm ordering Christina's book too. <laughs> so yeah. <Yay! laughs> uh, just to get that uh, plug in for you too. <laughs> well, well done. Well done. <laughs> So, so just following up on that, Barry, do you know why, um, or do you have any idea why Perry sort of fell out of favor? There's lots of, well, I think I mentioned that in some places. So I, I know for a fact that uh, in the, the Palatinate, for example, uh, we mentioned um, the modernization of, of agriculture meant that these trees were in the way. But it was also a time where it was... Um, Let's say the post-war years here, uh, people were definitely using the things that they had because there was nothing mm -hmm. else. Um, but let's say from the fifties onwards, um, it seems that it was easier to you know buy soft drinks. It was easier to buy beer. Uh, so I know some of the old people in our village always said to me, "Yeah, beer was for Sundays. It was expensive, right. and everybody drank mushed. All the farmers made their own cider, and that's what they drank." And autumn, they made thousands of liters, had it in their in their mushed keller in the cellars, and that's what they drank. The laborers drank during the year. Um, but as kind of yeah, more I don't know. It was easier just to get ready-made products, and people just yeah. it was handier, and it got just got less and less important. And as the generations went on, the the tradition got lost because it's hard work. It's really hard work to make. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, harvesting alone is is uh, is hard. Um. Yeah, that's maybe one part of the reason it's complicated because I think every region has its own uh, micro story, let's say. Right, right. The, the Swiss also, uh, they had been making Perry and it was really famous and exported. And then it seems they turned more to distilling as time went by. Mm. And then alcoholism became a problem. And then other ideas uh, <laughs> kind of took over that we've got to solve this problem. And uh, we've got to improve fruit growing and blah, blah, blah. And like I said, they got rid of 11 million trees in, in 25 years. And if I any Swiss people I've spoken to, even people who should know and they're in pomology and stuff, they aren't aware that perry making was a big tradition there. It's amazing that it's lost from even the cultural memory. Yeah, um, oh, it's fascinating. It's also yeah. like how at the same time you lost all these these draft horse breeds because uh, you know they weren't used for yeah, exactly. the day to day work anymore. And now some of them rare still bird, exist yeah. as rare breed kind of, yeah. uh, act, you know, sort of small groups of people holding on to it. But again, because I I nerd out about that kind of thing, but it, they go hand in hand because if you're not harvesting like the same way, yeah, conservation through use, and if you're not exactly. using it, it just gets forgotten. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so quickly too. I mean, how there was just a kind of you know, we just sort of quickly moved on. So I, I, I guess it's, it's again, these things that are very much, even with the kind of medieval poetry and songs examples, it's window into the everyday instead of kind of the the, the other, the fancy, and people forget kind of that the everyday. So it's so important to kind of try to pull these things back into the light. So what does that mean as archaeologists and historians, you know what it's like when you're looking through this keyhole, I always say, and you're only seeing small amounts of it. I think one of the it's it's I think beer is easy in a way, and, and I guess wine to an extent as well, because it was the kind of the ecclesiastical sites where mm. dealing with that stuff in the medieval period and everything was recorded and it was taxed. Right. It was yeah. uh, the farmers that were making the cider and the perry and that was free of tax and it wasn't recorded. Right. So, um, ah. You're only getting <laughs> yeah. In... That makes it very complicated. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. When, you, when you find these little things, so like like those medieval songs, it's kind of wow, you know. Yeah. Like, any mention at all is kind of like gold dust, and then you can you've got another crumb to try and follow to to see can you find a little bit more about that region or what it was done. Like the the they were taxing the import of uh, Perry in the city of Trier in 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 West Germany, you know, because. They wanted to protect the wine trade, so they put a tax on these farmers bringing the perry in, and then people were really pissed off. <laughs> and they said, "Okay, you right. can double in the amount." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. gosh, I just. Oh, sorry. Just from like a kind of now, I'm you know now the the wheels are turning. So I'm thinking like just from like a material culture perspective, like there must have been that the presses and things like that are are these the kind of things where maybe they're there and they're just not recognized or. Mm. I, I just wonder how much of it is just that it's <laughs> it's just not noticed almost. So. I recently bought a book called the the uh, the fruit mills of the palatinate. <laughs> oh, <laughs> as you do, yeah. Uh, 
and it's it's not on my desk. Uh, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> material culture. There are so um at least in the Palatinate um they they use stone for the mills. Right. Which makes they're, sense. Yeah. Still there. Uh, so they have these big circular things with a dome in the middle and they oh. would have a cross beam across it and then a big mill wheel, big round mill wheel that would basically with a horse or people roll around this this trough, this stone trough. And you find them dotted around the Pals or the, the West Palatin. Um around here they didn't use that. I don't know what they used. So uh, they did also use wooden troughs okay. and big stone wheels, so they're they're long. Right. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, at some stage, I guess, when was it? In the 19th century, they started producing kind of, you know, proper mills with uh, mm. with gears and, and 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 kind of grating mechanisms to, to make it much easier. So, um, yeah, there's lots of literature. So at least that stuff is in literature. But what they were doing before uh, these kind of, I don't know, modernization of techniques uh, is pretty much what they were doing in the Pals up till 1950. Right. Oh gosh, and and maybe that leads on nicely to thinking about these these varieties that still exist, and and maybe you could talk a little bit about that, and also just the 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 literal hard graft because you have to graft things, and just a, a little bit about that process because I know again bits about it, but I not enough to know how to do it if, if that <laughs> makes sense, or what what would you know be involved beyond? I know there are old varieties out there, and you have to kind of coax them back to life. Yeah. The the problem with um, apples and pears or any of those palm fruits is they don't grow true from seed right so if you have a a i don't know a flaky bark pear so that's a very rare english uh, pear, pear variety and you've got maybe up to 10 seeds in each pear and <clears throat> they've been cross-pollinated with other varieties. Mm. And so and every single seed will have a, a different uh genetic makeup so when you plant those seeds, they will not be a flaky bark. They will be a combination of whatever flaky bark and whatever the, the, the pollen donor was. So the only way that you can keep a variety going, and what, what I always find remarkable <laughs> is that we have varieties that were recorded over 500 years ago. Oh, wow. And they still exist because of this process called grafting, as you mentioned. And grafting is basically um, you take a new shoot from a tree in winter so right now i'm cutting scions uh, so they're called scions so this shoot is referred to as a scion and you take a scion from a tree of the variety that you want to propagate uh, and then you basically splice it onto a rootstock so you've got roots that are growing and um, yeah it's basically like a skin graft i guess in the way, <laughs> that's where the term comes from. you're grafting this uh, scion onto a donor rootstock and they basically heal together You'll see a scar and then it'll grow. And then you've you've maintained that variety. And people mm. have been doing this for hundreds, actually thousands of years. Uh, it's mentioned in the Bible as well. Uh, so uh, grafting figs, I think it was. Um, so that's the way you maintain these varieties. And I always, so I'm, I'm not a spiritual or religious. <laughs> so the nearest thing I feel I get to kind of a, a spiritual ex experience is grafting these, these trees and thinking that people have been grafting this piece of uh, you know it all came from one tree at some stage it was one tree right somebody said that's a really good tree that makes a really good cider or perry and they said i'm going to make more of those and it's continued on and on for hundreds of years uh that we still have these really old varieties yeah that's always been fascinating to me i know like because my, my in-laws are in longwood gardens or near longwood gardens in pennsylvania and they have the yeah. as, as christina will know too they've got all these old espaliered you know, sort of trees and they you know some of them they can trace back to sort of 17th-ish century in terms of you know some yeah. part of that you know that particular variety but but again like they might be older that's just as far as the records sure. go and then they keep grafting and keep yeah. grafting so it's it's fascinating to to see yeah. but i know too it's like it doesn't always work so it's you know kind of Not just always. kind of keep um, at it but yeah i'm it's it's easier than you might think so oh, really? Interesting. I, yeah, I, I think it's just if you learn the techniques, whatever, and you, you know what you have to do to make the, the cambium layer, this layer right under the bark, mm. that's what grows every year. And uh, that's what makes the tree rings. Uh, you archaeologists know this. <laughs> but um, but it, it, as long as you do your cuts and so that those match up on the rootstock and on the scion, when they match up and then you bind them together and make okay. sure they're tight so no water can get in or anything. 
uh, so it doesn't rot. I keep them tight together. Then the cambium layers meet and they try to heal the wound. Basically. Right. And then that's okay. it. You've got a new tree. That's There's amazing. But... And it's really fun and I really enjoy doing it. Yeah. Then I guess you're waiting a long time for it to get to the size of some of those trees you've got uh, <laughs> growing around. <laughs> Well, there's an old saying from Hereford, pears for the heirs. Uh, so right. <laughs> I, I started this way too late in life. So uh, it's, it'll be another 15 to 20 years before the pears I've been grafting will bear any amount of fruit. So I'm not doing it for me. It's uh, something for the future. <laughs> say to oh, sure. Well, that's amazing. And do do pears work similar to, I guess, maybe, I don't even know if it's all apples, or but I know some are kind of an every other year kind of fruit or... Yeah, you're works, right. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, some biennialism. Uh, so some some varieties show that strongly and they'll alternate years. Um, so there's a huge tree behind it here, about 140 years old. We call it the Helden tree, uh, Helden being German for hero. Uh, okay. Not because of any kind of weird shit. It's because right. the, <laughs> the townland that it's uh, growing right. in is called Helden. <laughs> so we just call it the Helden tree because I don't know what variety it is. But uh it only produces every second year. Okay, interesting. An amazing peri. And I can make like 240 litres from one tree last year. And uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful tree. But yeah, in fact, our orchard, they're all old trees. And for the past five years, they have the, the entire orchard has started a trend to only fruiting every second year. Oh, wow. gosh. They're in sync. Like, huh. It's really bloody annoying. <laughs> <laughs> goodness yeah and is that is that predictable or is that a thing they can just sort of start doing as they, they yeah i think uh, i think what kicked us off is uh, we had a, a late frost one year and they okay blossom so then the trees okay. had nothing and then the following year they they compensated because they hadn't fruited the year before they oh massive well. fruit and i think then they were basically knackered and said <laughs> they, then the next year they we're didn't, done. They didn't <laughs> even flower they didn't even blossom and, yeah. uh, and then last year was masses of fruit again so uh, i think that triggered it uh, but they're also old trees and old trees can tend to, to okay yeah because my sister-in-law has a has a, an old apple orchard in her her farm at the end these trees are probably sort of 200 ish years old um about the same age as her house but yeah they are very every other year and i suspect there's some kind of cider apple we don't know like you know you wouldn't want to eat them i think there That's is a cider press <laughs> i think there is a cider press somewhere on the property or you know the remains of one she's got a ruin that no one has properly poked around at so you need just to send me photos <laughs> I'll, I'll have to get her to go out and take some photos of the ruin yeah <laughs> Yeah. Find the press. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. I, I do wonder if that's what's going on. She's got everything else you would expect. There's, there's trees, there's uh the, there there's a spring house, there's what look mill like nearby as well. So eh, it could be there. So excellent. Cool. Yeah, if we if we go visit, we'll have to go do some exploration. We just keep going e in the winter when <laughs> it could happen too, as long as nobody tries to go into the spring house and fall into the water. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. oh. Goodness, and and I understand that uh, I was looking through your 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 Instagram last the last year you had a you had an issue with some beavers coming after some of the the trees. I wonder is that is that an ongoing issue? What do you do about that? No, that's that's a very new thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean it's nature, and right. uh, when you when you're planting trees out, I'm really nervous at the moment because I'm I'm due to plant these trees that I've been babysitting for three years. I'm due to plant them out this month, and uh, I'm I was nervous about that because we've got deer and we've got hare and right. uh, voles can sometimes eat the roots of the trees. Oh, uh, but you know you do what you can to protect them and sure you know, whatever. But the beaver, uh, that's new. Uh, so we have a two small nurseries where all the baby trees are. Okay. But they're right at the riverbank, at uh, the Shefflands River. Same name as the town or the village that I live in. And um, I, I knew there were beavers around. I'd seen a dam and the dam had been removed because of flood risk. Um, but I didn't know where they were. I, I've never seen a beaver. Um, but yeah, so I, I was walking the dog and I went by the, by one of the nurseries and uh, saw some of the, the tree labels lying on the ground. I was like, that's oh. It must have, the wind must have blown them off and I kind of went to put them back and I was like <laughs> where's the trees oh no oh <laughs> and, no uh, I really thought it was vandals I thought like kids had come in and just like cut them because it was such yeah. a clean cut 
and um, I was really upset. And um, then one of the local hunters, I, I had posted a photo on, on, on WhatsApp and he said, that, that could be beaver. And I went back and looked and sure enough, there were little no marks. Oh my goodness. So, peanut <laughs> so I was relieved that it wasn't vandalism. It's just nature. And I, I could live with that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they ate uh, 40 trees. Oh, my goodness. Wow. They were busy, the literally like, busy just, beavers. Yeah. Very young, one, one, two and three year old trees, uh, quite quite thin trunks. And you know, they, they took them off as a light snack on, in passing. Oh, my goodness. So I have an electric fence around one. So there was a, a chap from the, the um, county government who is responsible for beaver conservation. And he came by and had looks. So, yeah, they're active here and uh, <laughs> he, they can provide fences. So I had a, a right. sheep fence anyway which I had put up with no electricity. And he said, electrify it (laughs) (laughs) because they'll go through otherwise. uh, And if they get a shock, they won't come back. Right. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm glad the trees are protected (laughs) now, but I guess also glad that the beavers had a little snack to very good tastes i have to say they took the (laughs) rarest american varieties that oh no (laughs) (laughs) apples so they 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 preferred the apples they didn't really eat many interesting oh my goodness (laughs) oh my my goodness I, i feel like we've only scratched the surface but christina do you have any other questions before we begin to wrap up because i feel like again there's so much we could really no, like rabbit I, hole into yes yeah because i feel like anything i ask is going to be really niche and then we're going to go down another like hour-long rabbit hole because i'm <laughs> so fascinated with these uh medieval poems or songs that yes, you found oh, and I, we will definitely link your article in the show notes yes because I'm like we, we would buy the monogram to read just, that yeah <laughs> yeah just saying yeah um that sounds so fascinating yeah, it's, um, it's, to have, like you said, those little like glimpses into into Perry history. So I am so excited to read that. <laughs> <laughs> At least somebody is. <laughs> oh, we're, we're here for it. And, it is and, very niche. <laughs> oh, but in the best possible way. And, and where mm. can uh, I guess within what maybe uh, sort of area can people buy your your ciders and Perry's and, and should people be making you know plans to go and visit and uh, oh. maybe pick some up? visitors are always welcome uh, so we, we tend to sell online uh, and locally uh, we did export to the UK uh, year before last a couple of pallets went over that was very exciting um, and uh, there's a shop in Frankfurt that sells our stuff but it's pretty pretty local right. <laughs> very very small producer uh, a side job uh, but look out for other Perrys because I think any any Perry maker deserves support because it's such a brutal thing to try and <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a successful Perry, it's it's worth supporting that, but it's also just worth to have to drink because it's a really sure. good. yeah. And and like you said, it sounds like there's so many, so or there's so such a you know possible variety of flavors and Absolutely. we didn't even get into varieties. Though, I know, time. but yeah, if, if you if you go to to um okay, a little plug for friends, <laughs> uh the the Ross and White Cider Company, for example. Uh, go to their website and look through the the, the amounts of perries they've got. They they do single variety perries from old uh, English varieties. Um, I think I already mentioned Little Pomona and Tom Oliver, uh, Greg's Pit. There's uh, go to ciderreview.com. There we go. Um, so uh, my my friend Adam, uh, who I mentioned earlier, has written another plug for him the the book <laughs> uh, Perry a Drinker's Guide coming out in May. Um. So he founded uh, Cider Review. Uh, he's taking a break, and I've, as of this week, taken over editorship. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> so then yes. send people That's over, huge. and you can read uh, long form articles about uh, World Perry and Cider, and uh, I think nine hundred tasting notes on there now as well. So oh wow, in and, really uh, cool. Really, really get into uh, the the broad global tapestry of cider and Perry. Oh, fantastic. Well, we'll definitely put some links in the show notes, but uh, we'll sure. also make sure that if anyone's heading in that direction, they're, they're checking you out. And, please do. Uh, please do. Yes. You're always welcome. Yes. And, and of course, you know, if, if you're back in Ireland, of course, we are always happy to take people around. So I know I we were saying always. before we started, we, we run into each other at some point, but yeah. it's all a bit hazy. So <laughs> <laughs> it'll get hazier. <laughs> fair enough fair enough well we'll, we'll leave it there because again as we said there's so much more we could talk about but we want to make sure people are left wanting more so 
Uh, thank you, Christina. As always, thank you, Barry. Folks, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.